Yeah, let me, uh, maybe we'll just answer this. Uh, I'll give you a minute to think about it, and then, uh, and then we're going to maybe just uh, answer with a show of hands. Let me pull this mic back just a wee bit. All right, great. All right, here's the question. Uh, how many of you like Marmite? Well, I didn't say we were voting yet. Put your hands down. Marmite enthusiast. That is so annoying. All right, now we're going to vote. How many of you like Marmite? Raise your hand really high. Don't be embarrassed. We see who you are. All right, put your hands down. How many of you think Marmite is absolutely disgusting? Raise your hand. All right. Put, put your hand down. How many of you have never tried Marmite and so you don't know? Yeah. Yeah, it's disgusting. Trust me, that table. Don't, don't even look at it. Don't mess with it. All right. Um, so the first time I ever had Marmite, uh, I didn't know it existed until we moved to England many, many years ago. And uh, it was the very, very first church weekend away we ever did. Uh, we were Short Heath Community Church back then. And, uh, and Nathan Coxpill would have been little, right? Maybe. Yeah, you were old enough to eat Marmite because I was sitting beside you and I saw Andy uh, fixing something for his beautiful baby son and it was toast with butter and tar on top of it. And I thought, what is that? And so I see little Nathan eat it and he's just hee 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 and he's got it all over his face. I think, how bad could it be? And I put it in my mouth and it was absolutely like Tar, I would imagine, taste. All right. So even the adverts for Marmite uh, kind of just play into the fact that most people either really like it or really don't. Is that true? Not a lot of people on the fence with Marmite. We find the same thing in Scripture about Jesus. And when we see people interacting with Jesus, it is a bit like Marmite. And we see in the Bible, we see in the Gospels, there are those who like really love Jesus. And they're the ones who are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they just absolutely love him to the point of giving their life for him. But then we find others in the Gospels who absolutely despise Jesus with kind of a just a, a teeth grinding, uh, all encompassing hatred for Jesus. And we don't find many people who are kind of on the fence. They're one way or the other. And so as we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark, just let me remind you that, that right now in the narrative, we're in the last week of Jesus' life. He, on this earth, only has about five days left, right? And we're going to just look uh, this morning at the groups of people who absolutely despised Jesus and as such, we're trying to trap him so that they could find him guilty of a crime. All right, so uh, let me say bring me a pound. They brought the coin and Jesus asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Well, Caesar's, they replied. And Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Now the next group comes. Then the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, 
The man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married and uh, the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At this resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? And Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses in the account of the burning bush? How God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You're badly mistaken. Now, one of the teachers of the law, this is another group, another gentleman, uh, came and heard them debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? Hmm. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and it is true. And Jesus, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our minds and give us understanding. Uh, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts, that we might be changed by your word. And, and Lord, just in these next few moments, as we see Jesus with uh, what skill and wisdom you had, Father, as you Uh, dealt with your critics. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would give us that same wisdom, give us that same ability that we might uh, share and show the love of Jesus with those around us. Uh, Jesus, you tell us to to pray about all things, so we pray right now for the the, um, audio, video, whatever this stuff is called, Lord. We need this to work, and so we're just asking in Jesus' name that you would just make it work, Lord. Whatever the problem is, We pray that you, Holy Spirit, would fix it, that you would make it work. Uh, But nonetheless, may our hearts uh, be in tune with yours. May our focus be in your word. Speak to us, your people, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ben, is there any way we can just run it completely on its own, not through the... Okay. Thirty seconds. I can, uh, I can talk for 30 seconds. Um, so, Marmite, what is it? What is it? Why is it? Where is it? Who is it? What's it all about? Um, uh, 
So uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to kind of, uh, and it really would be important to share this, we're not going to do a deep dive in any one of these passages. What we're really going to talk about is what links them together, yeah? And what links them together is they are all attempts of trying to trap Jesus, trying to trip Jesus up, if you will, uh, so that they can bring charges against him to have him arrested. And what we also know is they actually want to have him crucified. And so this is their plan. Uh, Thanks to the Lord and thanks to Ben. Amen, church? Thank you, Brother Ben. That is most uh, appreciated. All right. Uh, So here's a word that I want us to think through. It's the word entrapment. Um, uh, Because... um, (laughs) I can see it back on the TV. So um, it's the word entrapment. Any, hey, all right. So here's what it means. Um, the action of tricking someone into committing a crime in order to secure their prosecution. All right, it's a legal definition. All right, entrapment. Entrapment is the action of tricking someone into committing a crime in order to secure their prosecution. And in these passages, this is what they're trying to do with Jesus. They're asking him these trick questions. They're trying to trick him into giving a certain answer. And they know if he gives the wrong answer, they can then make accusations against him, have him arrested, have him uh, at best imprisoned, at worst crucified. So that's their plan. They're trying to trip him up. They're trying to entrap him. Um, I, I, I don't know if you've kept up with, uh, with politics in Scotland recently, um, but, but uh, as you might know, the, the leader of, uh, of the SNP, the, the leader in Scotland, has, uh, she, she resigned. She stepped down. And so now there is going to be an election, and there are just a couple of people, I think maybe three, who have put their hat in the ring to be the new leaders of Scotland. And, uh, and one of them is Kate Forbes. And uh, Kate Forbes is an evangelical Christian. In fact, she's a very outspoken evangelical Christian. She's a member of the Free Church of Scotland, and we partner with them, uh, we being the uh, International Mission Board, we partner with them in Scotland. She would feel very at home here at Oikos Community Church. And uh, Christy and I were watching an interview with her uh, the other night from Sky News, and, uh, and we eventually just had to turn it off. It was infuriating. Because it really wasn't an interview, it was nothing but a series of traps to get her to say the wrong thing related to her faith in Jesus. It's something that we might face in the workplace, it's something we might face at school, those who might seek to call us out to entrap us, to twist our words that we might be accused of being a bigot or being mean-spirited or unkind, whatever it might be. And uh, we see his enemies use three basic areas to do this, and, uh, and they're areas that, that actually are still controversial today. Here they are, three simple things. Number one, in an effort to entrap Jesus, his opponents used issues of politics. In an effort to entrap Jesus, his opponents used issues of politics. We've had, uh, we, we've had a rule at our house for many, many years in America, when all of us are together for Thanksgiving, uh, there sometimes can be about 20 of us around the table. That's adults. And we made a rule many years ago, one Thanksgiving rule, we actually made two. One is no, mo- no mobile phones at the table at Thanksgiving. 
And uh, secondly, no politics, right? No mobile phones and no politics. I don't know if your family or friends might be like mine, but nothing can spark a heated conversation sometimes like politics, true? Right? I mean, I know Brexit wouldn't do that, but there might be other issues, right, where people might feel passionately. And so that's exactly what happens here. And so uh, look, uh, look what happens uh, here with Jesus uh, as they try to entrap him. It says, later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians. The Pharisees would be like the, uh, the super vicars. They're like the super, super religious guys. And then the Herodians are a political party. And these two groups absolutely despised one another because the Pharisees believed that the Jews should have nothing to do with the Romans, all right? The Herodians believed it was okay to support the Romans. And so these two groups absolutely despised one another, all right? Are you with me? And now they're teamed up together, right? The, uh, the enemy of my enemy makes us friends, right? And so look what happens. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. And they came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. Uh, you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Uh, that's, that's just called a bunch of flowery setup, right? Are you with me? Oh, Jesus, we know you're such a great teacher, right? They're just buttering him up, and they're about to hit him with the trap, right? And then they ask him this question. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, uh, how do you think the, the Jews felt about paying taxes to the Romans? Let me remind us that Rome, right, Rome had invaded Israel. And the Jews in Israel were living under Roman occupation. It, it's actually no different than what we see with Russia and Ukraine. You had a superior power who invaded a country, and we're now ruling over that country with an iron fist. And that's what the Romans are doing in Israel. And I think sometimes when I read my Bible, I lose sight of that. But I mean, this, this wasn't just like a friendly occupation. This was Russia invading Ukraine. This was something that was a military action. Uh, there, there are literally uh, soldiers on the streets of Jerusalem. There are soldiers on the streets of Caesarea Philippi. There are soldiers on the streets in Samaria. It is a military occupation. And now it would be like invading Ukraine and then forcing the Ukrainians to pay taxes to Putin. How popular do you think that would be? Right? That's what's happening here. And so the Jews are forced to pay taxes to the Romans. It's why when Matthew, the tax collector, became a follower of Jesus, it was so radical, right? And so they're tripping him up because what do they know? If, if they're saying, should we pay taxes to the Romans? If Jesus says yes, what are they going to do? Aha, you support the invaders. You support Russia. You're not a real Ukrainian. You're not, not a real Jew, right? And the people will go after him. If he says don't pay your taxes. They're going to say, ah, you're a lawbreaker. You're in violation of the law. Come arrest this man. What is Jesus to do? Oh, he's so good, right? He's so good. Jesus says, um, uh, is it right to pay? Should we or shouldn't we? And Jesus says, who has, who has a pound coin, right? 
Who, who has a coin? Who has a denarius? And somebody reaches in their pocket. Oh, here's a coin. And they hand it to you know, and they, Jesus looks at it, hands it back, and Jesus says, "Who's on the coin?" Right. So on our coins, we have uh, the queen, or soon to be the king. Well, on their coin, they had Caesar. And so Jesus says, who's on the coin? And they say Caesar. And then Jesus says, so pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and pay to the Lord what belongs to the Lord. And you can hear all the air go out of the Herodians and the Pharisees. Amen? They have no accusation against him. They tried to use politics, taxes, right? Taxes, politics to trap him, and it didn't work. Uh, Here's a second trap. Uh, that they, uh, they set for Jesus. In an effort to entrap Jesus, his opponents used issues of religion. Can religion be uh, a hot topic? Of course it can. Absolutely. Religion is just like politics, is man-made. By the way, there's a difference between loving and following Jesus and man-made religion. Amen? And, and so we're talking about man-made religion, which has usually done horrible things in the history of the world. And so they use issues of religion to trap Jesus. Now, you have a new group come. It's almost like when I picture this, now this is just because my mind is really simple. I picture like wrestling, you know, like WWF, like Hulk Hogan wrestling. Like Jesus is just pounding them down. Write that in your notes. And then, and so like the Herodians got pounded and the Pharisees got pounded. So who's jumping in the ring now? This group called the Sadducees. And Jesus is just in the ring waiting. Now these were religious teachers and this is important, they did not believe in the resurrection, right? They did not believe in a bodily resurrection, and they were kind of so-so on if they believed in heaven, all right? And so they show up, and they say this. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. And they asked this really long, ridiculous question about this woman, right? And so she gets married, and, um, and so let's say that like me, Andy, Simon, Max, you know, Jordan, Dom, we're all brothers, right? And, uh, and so can we marry you, Anne? Is that, is that all right? And yeah, the, your, your choices are limited, trust us, right? And so, you know, I marry Anne, and we have a beautiful marriage. We have no children. I die and so the law then said, okay, one of my brothers needed to take care of her. So Andy says, I'll step in. He marries Anne. She's thinking, boy, I miss Kenny, but Andy's okay. They're married, and they have no children. Andy dies, and then Simon, he's going to be a keeper, by the way. Simon marries Anne, right? Or, you got the story. This happened seven times. And then they ask this ridiculous question, and they're thinking, we got him. They say, hey, Jesus, when Anne gets to heaven... Which one's going to be her husband? All seven of them? All right, now, it's a question of religion, right? Because it's about, first of all, does Jesus believe in an afterlife? Does he believe in a heaven? Does he believe in a resurrection? And Jesus, again, takes their trap and turns it on them. And look at your Bible. Look at your Bible and look what he says. Jesus replied, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Jesus says, so you're obviously ignorant. Which one is it? You don't know your Bible or you don't believe in the power of God, right? Pretty strong words for him. And then Jesus says, when the dead rise, okay, so he's answered the question, is there a resurrection? He doesn't say if the dead rise. He says, 
when the dead rise, right? He says, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now, about the dead rising, have you not read? And, and then he goes on to, to just explain to them who God is. And then he says, you are badly mistaken. The only thing worse than being mistaken is being badly mistaken. Amen? Jesus, again, takes them to task. And, and by the way, as a side note, uh, uh, based on this scripture, it, it, it seems pretty clear that we won't be married um, in, in heaven. But I know this. However we relate to one another now compared to how we relate to one another there, it will be much better there. Amen? So trust me, we're not losing out. Whatever we gain, it will be better. Everything in heaven is better, right? And so it's all about religion. They're trying to trip him up, and it doesn't work. Uh, And then they do a third and final one, and it's this. They use Scripture. They use Scripture. One of the experts in the law comes along, doesn't he? And it says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. And he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Of all the commandments, which is most important? So right now, I'm just almost finished with the book of Leviticus. I'm reading through the Old Testament this year, just really slowly, just trying to take take the Old Testament in. And, and I'm almost done with Leviticus, and, and there, are a lot of, there are a lot of rules, there are a lot of commandments in the book of Leviticus. So, how many commandments are there in the Old Testament? Depending on you, how you count them, it's about 607. 607. They're in the Scriptures. And so this guy is saying, out of the 607, which one is the most important? Right? And Jesus, who gets asked this many times uh, in his ministry, uh, basically says, What? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says it's not about keeping a bunch of rules, it's about loving God and loving others. You can just boil it down. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to love God and to love other people, right? Through Jesus. And so, again, this entrapment, it, it, it doesn't work. And so, um, with with our remaining time, uh, I want us to then really look at some lessons we can glean from Jesus, and then some real practical applications. And so, uh, here's what I want us to to take away. How did Jesus answer his critics? How did he handle his critics in these passages? And uh, and there are a couple of things we can see here, and I've got the scripture references out beside them. So, here's the first thing we see that Jesus acknowledged their real motives. Jesus acknowledged their real motives. And I've got the verse beside it, but I'll read it for us. And so uh, in verse 15, he says, um, but Jesus knew their hypocrisy. This is when they're asking about paying taxes. Should we pay taxes? And it says, Jesus knew their hypocrisy. And then watch this. Why are you trying to trap me? Jesus asked them. Jesus wouldn't play the game. Jesus was clear, and Jesus looked at them and said, you're hypocrites, and why are you trying to trap me? Right? And so what we see is this. Jesus acknowledged their real motives, and we're going to come back to that in just a minute because it's really important. I mean, Jesus knew the game. Jesus knew they were just trying to trap him, and Jesus acknowledges that. Now, does he still answer their question? Yeah, he does. 
But he says, look, let's first of all, let's just all acknowledge what's taking place here. Uh, you're trying to trap me, um, and, and I get that. But I'll, here's your answer, right? And, and so uh, I think it's important, and we'll come to this in a minute, because different people have different motives for asking the questions they ask, right? Some will come to Jesus in his life, and there'll be entrapment questions. And some will come to him like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, who will come to Jesus at night and say, Jesus, what must I do to be born again? What must I do to be saved? And that's a question from the heart. Amen? And so Jesus always deals with not just the question, but listen carefully, the intention behind the question. What is the motive of the heart? And we'll come back to that in just a minute. How else did Jesus handle his, uh, his critics? Well, secondly, Jesus asked good questions. Jesus always asked clarifying questions, and Jesus always asked good questions, right? And so we see this in verse 16. Uh, he, he says, whose image is this? Who, whose inscription, right? Jesus takes control of the conversation. Jesus is not on the defense in any of these examples. He, he takes the situation, and he goes on the offense by asking good questions, right? So he'll say, all right, give me the coin. Who's on the coin? What do you think, right? He's asking them the questions. And then we see it again in verse 35. Uh, he says, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself speaking. So he begins to ask them questions about the scripture, right? And so as Jesus interacts with, with his critics, he, he always acknowledges their motives, but then he always asks questions, right? He's not just thinking about what he's going to answer, but he draws them out by asking good questions. Sometimes uh, I, I think we've lost the art of asking good questions. Uh, we, we sometimes have lost the art of good conversation. Uh, you know, if it's not 144 characters or doesn't fit in a TikTok video, we don't know how to converse with one another, Right? How do you have a good conversation? It involves asking good questions, listening, and answering. And Jesus was the master, literally. Uh, secondly, uh, thirdly, sorry, Jesus appealed to Scripture. Jesus appealed to Scripture. We see it in verse 24. He says, in the account, uh, he says, Now, about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses? He's talking about the book of Exodus. And the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, and then he just begins to quote Scripture. Jesus always uses Scripture to handle his critics. And he's not bothered about whether they believe Scripture or not, because Scripture is true whether I believe it or not. Amen? So here's the deal. I could go up to the next level. I could go up to the second floor, up to the storeroom, open the window. I could stand in the window and declare to all of Erdington, I thus do not believe in gravity. Gravity is a hoax. I've investigated gravity. It is not real. I defy you, gravity. You are foolish. And jump, and what will happen? There will be a mess in Erdington, amen? Because me believing in gravity doesn't change whether gravity is true. Whether someone believes in this book doesn't determine whether it's true or not. It's true because it's true, right? And so Jesus always uses Scripture. It doesn't matter whether they believe it or not because He knows 
Scripture is true. And the Bible says of itself that this book is like a two-edged sword, that this book knows how to cut down to bone and marrow, that this book is good for reproof and encouragement and correction. This book can do everything I need it to do in my life and the life of my next-door neighbor. And so Jesus uses the Scripture. By the way, little side note, there's probably a 99% chance when you get asked the questions you won't have your Bible with you. That's why it's so important to memorize Scripture. That's why it's so important to memorize Scripture, right? Uh, and then we see this. Jesus did not argue or debate. Jesus did not argue or debate. Jesus never let himself get sucked in to a pointless argument or debate. He just didn't. And you look through the Gospels, he, he never gets drawn into an argument and debate. And I'll put there beside that for us, Matthew 7, verse 6. Matthew 7, verse 6. And uh, it, it's probably a familiar verse, but I, I want to read it for us. And this is Jesus talking about how we interact with people who want to argue and fight. And this is what Jesus says. Do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. It's quite, quite descriptive teaching there. So uh, Christy, and compliment her when you see her downstairs, um, She uh, for our 30th anniversary, anybody know what your 30th anniversary is? Who said that? Pearl. Well done. It's pearls. Everybody, You all knew that, right? It's not like I had to Google that back in August, right? And so I bought Christy some pearl earrings because your 30th anniversary is pearls. And so, uh, they, you know, they, the pearl earrings aren't cheap. You know, I had to save up for them. And, um, and so I would be pretty distressed if, if Christy threw them in a pig pen, right? Um, I would be thinking, Lord, I hope I saved the receipt, right? Like, uh, that would be pretty distressing, okay? So he, here's the thing. Oh, what's the most valuable thing? The pearl of great price, the gospel, Jesus. And Jesus says, don't, don't take something as precious as the gospel and throw it to pigs. If people just want to argue and be mean and nasty, it's better to walk away. It's better to walk away. Why take something precious and give it to the dogs? Jesus never allows himself to be pulled into some kind of argument or debate. Does he answer questions? Absolutely. But sometimes he just looks at the, at the, at the Pharisees and says, you brood of vipers. Right? I'm not, not going to argue with you. You're, you're like whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones, Jesus will say. I'm not going to take the precious things of the kingdom and argue with you about them. Right? So what are some practical tips? Let's follow. Let's, let's end with these. Uh, what are some tips um, for, uh, for answering critics? Uh, what, are, what are some practical things? These are, just, these are just for me. These are some tools I use that I've learned over the years that I found helpful. You might find them helpful as well. Um, and so here are some things. So I'm going to give you a real-world example. And so um, I have a, a Muslim friend who says, uh, and so this is for real. Um, so he says, so Kenny, isn't it true that the Bible has been changed over and over and over through the years. Like, the Bible's been changed, right? Bible's been changed. So in other words, like, you know, men have went in and 
taken things out, added things. So over the centuries, the Bible's just kept changing, right? So he says, Kenny, isn't it true that the Bible has been changed over the years? So uh, here's going to be my first question, and it's this. That's an interesting question. Why do you ask? Why do you ask? What does the phrase, why do you ask, speak to? Motive. Remember Jesus? Jesus acknowledged their motive, right? So it's a very disarming, it's not threatening, it's not argumentative, right? In fact, I'll always try to proceed it with, man, that's an interesting question. Like, what a great question. Um, why do you ask, right? Now, if, if, if my friend says, oh, you know, because I'm just really interested in the Bible, and I'd just like to know more, or if he says, because you Christians are a bunch of rubbish hypocrites. Uh, is the answer going to determine where I take the conversation? Of course it is. I just want to know what, what's the motive of the heart. So that's an interesting question. Why, why do you ask? All right. So let's think the best. And he says, well, you know, I, I just don't know a lot about the Bible. And I've just always been taught, which, by the way, this is what Islam teaches, that the Bible has just been changed a lot of times. So the next question I would ask is, what do you mean by that? So when you say change, what, what, tell me what do you mean by it's been changed? Okay, so what kind of question is this? This is a clarifying question. This is a question to, to make sure we're having the same conversation. So I did not ask Ben or Dan for permission to share this story, but I'm Dan's not in here, so that's okay. Ben... You don't listen, and it's all right. So um, uh, I went to uh, went to uh, to the Manleys. Uh, Max and I went to the Manleys a couple weeks ago, and uh, and uh, Hillary was there uh, with Reuben, and they were having some kids food and stuff, and we were talking. And so I asked Dan, "How was your day?" He says it was really good. We took the kids swimming. I took the kids swimming. He said, "Yeah." I said, "Really? Really? How was it?" He went, "Well, Ben and I were meeting up to take the kids swimming." I was like, oh, how did that go? And Dan starts laughing and says, not as I expected. So I say, what happened? He said, well, we agreed to meet at the swimming pool so dads would take the kids swimming. So Ben and Dan agreed on the time to meet at the swimming pool. They just didn't clarify what? Which swimming pool? (laughs) And so... So Ben and Reuben are at one swimming pool, and Dan and the Manleys are at another swimming pool. And so now they're calling. They're like, where are you? I'm at the swimming pool. No, you're not. I'm at the swimming pool. No, you're not. I'm at the swimming pool. I'm standing right here. I can't see you. I can't see you either. What swimming pool are you at? And I believe you were at King Standing. Well, I'm at King Standing. Where are you? And Dan says, I'm at Ernington. Right? Now, watch this. They were having a conversation about a swimming pool, but they weren't on the same page. Are you with me? That's the purpose of this question. Because I want to make sure that, that what this person is asking me, that we're defining the terms the same, that we're thinking about the same thing, right? So uh, what do you mean when you say change? Because what I might be thinking might be different from what he's thinking, and, and that's gonna, we're going to end up at two different swimming pools, right? Uh, here's, a, here's a third uh, question then I'll ask, and that is, um, how did you come to that conclusion? How did you come to that conclusion? So 
So I'm talking to my friend Iftikhar, and Iftikhar says, you know, Kenny, is it true the Bible's been changed over the years? And, oh, Iftikhar, what an interesting question. Why do you ask? You know what? I've just, I've never really even read the Bible. Obviously, I've been a Muslim my whole life. I don't know much about it. And, but I, I think it's been changed. Well, what do you mean by changed? Well, so I've always been taught, like, over the years, like, church, the church has just cha- taken things out and put new things in. And I say, oh, okay. Well, how did you come to that conclusion? Oh, what do you mean? Well, what, well do you believe that? Yeah, I do believe that. So how, have you, like, studied it? How did you come to that conclusion? Then he says... That's just what I've always been taught. How many people do you think believe something just because it's what they've always been taught, right? It's just what I've always been taught. And then I have a, a last question, and it's this. Well, have you ever considered, fill in the blank, have you ever considered? So with Iftikhar, I said, you know what, Iftikhar? Have you ever considered reading the Bible? No. I said, well, you know what? What if, what, if, what, what if we started meeting up for lunch and reading the Bible together? And then you know what? We, we could even go to Litchfield one day, and they have some copies of, of the Gospels in Litchfield Cathedral that, that date back to about the year 700, which is almost the same age as Islam. And, and so we could even take, take a Bible and go and compare them and, and see, would you consider doing that with me? And he said... No, thank you. And I said, but you know what? If you ever change your mind, I would love to do that with you. He was very grateful. Uh, let me give you one more example, then we'll pray. Um, and this is about asking questions and listening to the Spirit. It was a couple years ago, summertime, it's a Saturday. And we we're doing an outreach on the Erdington High Street. It had gotten to early evening, and um, we still had some things going on. It might have been when we were having the food festival. And, uh, and I was standing out there with Kayla and Max, a few other people, and a gentleman from the Swan comes out, and almost as if a rope was tied between me and him, comes straight for me. Probably about 30, 31 years old. He gets to me, and he opens up with, who are you people and what are you doing? And I say, well, we're, we're part of Oikos Cafe, but more importantly, we're part of the church that meets here and we're just out here. And that's as far as I got. And uh, he just begins with a tirade of profanity. I kid you not, probably in five minutes, maybe the F word. Do you remember this, Max? Probably a hundred times. In five minutes, remember, Kayla and Max just slowly kind of moved behind me like baby chicks behind, you know, a rooster. They kind of just moved behind me. And I really thought he might get physically violent. He was that angry and started hitting my chest with his finger. And he's just asking me, questioning, you Christians, why do you do this? And why do you do this? And, and he's just going and going. And I'm just like, I don't have time to say Hey, that's interesting. Why do you ask? You know, I've never heard that word that many times. How did you do that? You know, like I don't have time for any of this, right? And so I'm just like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so, but this is what I know. 
Jesus asked good questions. And I'm like, Lord, help me ask good questions. And so he almost ran out of steam. I mean, he's yelling and screaming and cursing, and he just almost exhausted himself. And he literally had to stop to breathe. And I clearly heard the Lord tell me to ask this question. And this is what I asked him. I said, I'm so sorry. I apologize. What is your name? He's a person. And told me his name. And I said, well, my name's Kenny. Can I ask you another question? He said, sure. And I said, what happened in your life that made you so angry at God? Just clearly felt the Lord tell me to ask that question. He said, what does the expletive, what does that mean? And I said, what in your life happened that made you so angry at God? And tears began to stream down his cheeks. And he said, when I was 18 years old, my dad died in a car accident. Why would God let that happen? And all of a sudden, the profanity was gone. The anger was gone. Now we were to the heart of the matter. I called him by name, and I said, friend, I, I don't know why that happened to your dad. I can't even begin to imagine how hard that would be to be an 18-year-old and have to go through that. I want you to know this. God loves you. He cares for you. And Jesus died for you. Then I said, third question. Can I pray for you? He said, yes, please. We put our arms around him, me, Kayla, and Max. We prayed for him. That he would know the love of Jesus. That tomorrow morning at 10.30, we're going to be right here in this building. You would be most welcome. He said, thank you. He went back over to us. It's about listening to the Spirit, asking the right questions, and trusting Jesus with the rest. Amen, church. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. We praise you, and we thank you for who you are, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we stand amazed as we see you in action, Jesus. Your wisdom, your patience, and your love. Jesus, these very same people who tried to trap you would crucify you. And Jesus, you would look down from the cross and say, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Jesus, your grace is amazing. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us, that you died for us, that, Jesus, you have made a way for us. Jesus, I pray that if there might be one with us this morning who doesn't know you, that, that, Lord, they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. Jesus, they would call out to you. Jesus, for those of us who already have done that, Lord, we live in a culture, we live in a society that is becoming increasingly antagonistic to the things of the Bible, to, the, to your things, Jesus. And 
And, and Jesus, give us wisdom as we interact with those around us. Give us a spirit of love. Give us humility. Give us patience. Give us wisdom. Help us to be good listeners. Help us to ask good questions. That others may know the hope and love that only come from you, Jesus. We pray in your holy name. Amen.